Hallelujah. Father, we just praise you tonight. We thank you, Lord God, that you sit on the throne, that you rule in majesty and power and glory. And Father, there is none like you in all of the heavens and all of the earth. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together tonight and knowing that as we gather in the name of your Son, that he is here. The Holy Spirit is here. There's a plan and a purpose for each of our lives tonight in this place. We pray for the children. We pray for the teens and tweens, Lord God, that you would have your way in their lives tonight. And we ask it for the name, in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Why don't you turn and say hello to somebody you haven't had a chance to say good evening to. Praise the Lord. So, anybody have a testimony tonight or a praise report or something the Lord did or showed you or the... Okay. The Lord, uh, Lord got, well, I don't even know how to say it. Turn around and tell them. The Lord made a demand on me. Uh, he told me that he wanted me to
Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, before we get go any further, I'd like to take a few minutes to pray. Um, we have a number of people that really need God to touch them. Um, uh, Lisa is doing well. She's in the hospital still, uh, but she was in good spirits this afternoon. And um, uh, they're still waiting for a consult with another doctor. And... Um, uh, but she's standing on the word and just believing. And I said, we're praying and believing with you. Um, uh, Brother Chris Tushit is uh, going to be put on a kidney transplant list. And um, uh, they're starting, they've started dialysis and, and they're looking for, uh, to as soon as possible, to get them on home dialysis until that can, um, until he can, you know, get that transplant done. Brother Roy Jenkins, some of you may not know his name, the older gentleman and his wife, from, he's from South Africa. He's been very sick for several weeks. Um, they had taken his gallbladder out thinking that was it, and for a few weeks he was good, and then it all started again. And so he's been through a battery of tests. They can't find anything. And um, so this week he's having... Uh, CAT scans, upper and lower GI, you name it, they're doing all kinds of, all, all kinds of things. He needs prayer. Um, um, I got a, a message this morning. One of my sisters in Macon, Georgia, was rushed to the emergency room. She's still there. And um, all the, we don't know what's wrong yet, but it appears that she may have had a stroke this morning. And so fortunately, my brother-in-law was at home right before he went to work when she collapsed and they and he found her and so um I just she needs prayer she needs a touch we don't know what it is they don't know the preliminary test they don't know yet but um cheryl yeah my kids call her aunt cheerios they never could say Cheryl when they were when they were little they would just say cheerios so it's kind of stuck and um, so, anyway, uh, she needs prayer. And I know there's probably another number of people that really need prayer. And um, if you, I will tell you this right now, there's not a hospital anywhere right now that's not overwhelmed. Uh, it's it's mind-blowing. Um, when I walked into Lourdes the other day, there was 35 people in the waiting area of the emergency room and they'd all been admitted. They had no place for them. Every room was full. There were people on gurneys in the hallways that they were working on. Um, um, and, um, but over like in the hospital where my sister's at, they're overflowing and it just happened that he works for that hospital. So that was a blessing and able to get her in. But uh, another friend um, told me up in his area that they had to go to the emergency room with a family member and there was like 40 people waiting. It's just, it's it's like, I don't know what's going on, but it's, it's going on, you know. And um, then also I got a message early this morning that a former church member in North Louisiana that was a member of my church just passed away suddenly 
49 years old. And um, then one of our um, ministers in the state died a few days ago. He committed suicide. And so there's a lot of tragedy going around and a lot of difficulties and sickness and stuff. And um, there's a lot of people needing prayer, really, really needing prayer. And um, uh, so I, could we just take a few minutes to pray for these folks, however you feel led to pray, you know. Um, and to be honest, I've just been overwhelmed today by all the stuff and that's going on and not... You know, I was thankful that it came to early morning prayer this morning. And I felt specifically impressed to pray for my, my personal family, my, my extended family members, uh, our church. And, and then my phone started lighting up this morning. And so I said, I, and now I know why. Um, but can we just take a few minutes to pray? I'm, I'm not defeated by it. I'm just telling you, I'm not. I, I'm... In fact, that first song we played, um, uh, Raise a Hallelujah, if you know the story behind that song, it's so powerful. There was that child on death's doorstep, and then God stepped in, and that song was birthed out of it, you know. And so I said, no, I said, we're going to use some videos. I said, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm, I, I just see the enemy's fighting hard. And that means God's, God, God's pushing in. God's taking territory that belongs to him. And so anyway, Father, we just thank you that you are on the throne. And we can rest in the confidence that, God, you're not going to be overthrown. You're not going to step down. You're not going to quit. You're not going to abdicate your position. But, Father, your word is still alive and true from the day that you spoke it. And it is alive in the hearts of your people here tonight, Lord God. Father, we just lift these people before you who are needing physical healing in their bodies. Physical healing. Some of them needing creative miracles, God. And we just speak that word forward right now. That God, by the stripes on your son, they were not put there in vain. And we thank you, Father, that even now, as we say, be healed in Jesus' name, that not only will healing come, but wholeness will return and health be restored in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for these families who have lost loved ones in, in such tragic ways. And Father, you know the circumstances. You know the situation. And I'm so thankful that at least the family members, the immediate family members are Christians and they know you. But God, they're walking in a place that they have never had to walk before. That you have promised to be with them even through the valley of the shadow of death. You shall not leave them. And so we thank you for the comforter. We thank you for the word. And we thank you, Lord God, that you will use this. I pray that in those funeral services in the, tomorrow, that God, there will be people there who will be 
confronted with the message of hope that is found in Christ and they will be saved. As a seed falls in the ground and it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And that's what I'm praying and believing for, Father, in those funeral services, that God, they will be presented with the gospel and the truth that there is eternal life found in Jesus Christ. And we give you praise for that. Amen. Amen. I want to um, uh, start a little series tonight on Wednesday night. I don't know how long this will go. But I've been feeling this for uh, uh, a few weeks. And, um, and I kind of shied away from it at first. Because there's been so much false teaching over so many years about uh, um, appropriating or walking in or taking hold of God's promises or however you want to word it. But I'm just going to simply call it walking in God's promises. And I want us to look at this. Um, and, and, and I want to look at it in two different ways. Um, you know, the old, the, there's the old saying, if you give a man a fish, he'll, you feed him for a day. If you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime, right? You know, um, uh, uh, a fellow man I used to work for in Oral Hayes uh, down in Crystal River, Florida, he had large orange groves. And, and we used that expression that if a person was hungry, we could go give them an orange and that would satisfy them for that moment. But if he just said, there's the orchard, go pick, go get it, go get what you need, then uh, they would be taken care of because they're going to get what they need instead of you trying to figure out what they need. And so I want to kind of approach this in that manner. I'm not interested in trying to just um, give intellectual or biblical or even theological um, um, teaching, but practical teaching that we can apply to our lives. And so um, with the idea of that orange grove thing, um, each week, I'm going to address some need or problem or issues that, are, that just arise in our own lives, common everyday life, and, and then how to locate and claim and walk in God's promise uh, for each of those particular situations, okay? Um, the reason I, I kind of pull back from the idea is because people have a tendency, Christians have a tendency um, of cherry picking things and then um, finding something and then trying to cherry pick it or put it in their situation and make it apply. And that, that's, a dangerous, that's a dangerous place to be. And so I want to look at it from a biblical foundation and, and, and maybe bring some enlightenment. Um, I actually, as I started doing this, uh, God showed me something that I had never quite... Have you ever just had the light go on? And then you go... When did you decide to put that in there, Lord? You know, I never, how could I not have known that after 50 years of walking with you? You know, so anyway, I want, since we're talking about walking in God's promises, I want to start with the provision 
in God's promises. And, and there's two simple things. And the first point is this, that God's provision for us is found in his promises. For example, we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, you know, and forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And all we, you know, the thing, the provision that we need for our situation, our circumstance, the answer that we're looking for, it's already found in God's promises. Second um, Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, look what it says. It says, His, speaking of God, so I put that in parentheses, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And then it goes on and says, Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by the evil desires. And so there's two simple truths that are found in these two verses of Scripture. And um, both of them are written, and, and English is not my strong thing, but I can look things up and understand it, because I want to understand it. Uh, both of them are written in the perfect tense, meaning that they've already been accomplished. It's already been provided. Okay, so for example, verse 3. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Notice that this verse does not say God is going to give us everything we need. It says God's divine power has, it's already been done, has given us everything that we need, okay? So God's divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And then verse 4 says God has given us very great and precious promises. So we first see, we find out that he... God's divine power has given everything that we need. And then verse 4 goes on to say that God has given us, has given us already, his very great and precious promises. God's promises aren't just like simple, okay, I'll do that kind of thing. I mean, they're very great and precious, okay? So he's already given us everything we are ever going to need. So how does it come to us? If he's already given it, his divine power has made everything available to us to live a godly life, and, and he's given us these great and precious promises, how does it come to us? It comes in the form of God's promises. All right? That's the, that's the, 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 the vehicle, if I can put it that way, the, met, the, 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 the way that God transfers that into our lives. And so I want you to understand that the promises of God are our inheritance. They have already been given to us. He, he doesn't hold a carrot stick out here and dangle it and say, if you'll do better, I'll give you this, I'll do this. It says it's already there, okay? So that, that brings me to the second point in this, and that is that God's promises are our inheritance, okay? 
Now, when we think of an inheritance, we usually think of something that you get after someone has died and, you know, a will's been read or whatever. Well, Jesus died and he wrote a testament. It was his, his will and testament, but he, he's alive. He rose from the dead he, and he wrote it in his blood. So his promises, God has given us these great and precious promises. Therefore, they are legitimately ours. They can't be contested because God gave them. Who's going to contest God? You know? I mean, who's going to contest God? So in examining this, I want us to look at an Old, Old Testament and New Testament. And un, in the Old Testament, um, we see this first with Joshua. Remember, Moses dies. God confronts Joshua and says, you're now the man, right? You're the one that's going to take the people over into the promised land. And um, what's interesting is that in the New Testament, under a, a, man, a man named Jesus, which in the Hebrew form is the same word for Joshua, yes it is, um, he leads his people into the promised land or the land of promises. So Joshua in the Old Testament leads his, God's people into the promised land. Jesus leads us into the land of promises. Okay? And so um, God's promises are our inheritance. And so our, our goal in this, these next few weeks at least, is... I hope to develop a clear view of our inheritance and then understand how we can possess it or them, possess them, I probably should have said. Not just intellectually, but in a practical sense. And so again, each segment is going to deal with a specific need or problem that commonly arises in our lives, in the lives of other people. See, it's one thing to say there are promises in the word that you need to grab a hold of. But if I don't know how what grabbing a hold of means and I don't know what the promises are and I don't know if that is a genuine promise or if that's something misconstrued or whatever, then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. So we're going to look at some very practical ways of how to, what the problem is, locating specific promises that God has given to us because he has given us great and precious promises. So let's go back and start with Joshua because there's a foundational principle here and we're actually going to circle back and end right back here um, and, and at the end of this tonight. So this, this is a promise that God made, and it's a key principle, okay? It's a statement that the Lord made to Joshua when he commissioned him to take the people into the promised land. So in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, one, one verse there, it's a long verse, but it says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way 
Look what it says. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Okay? Now, that's a powerful statement, just that one verse. Um, but, and, and that one verse is, is, is so succinct, at least in my mind, because it says, look at the last part, and you will have success. He didn't say you might have it, you could have it, 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 it's possible to have it. He's saying there's specific things that bring this about and you can make your way prosperous. And prosperous doesn't just mean having money, okay? Let's, let's make that clear because that's been perverted um, too often from pulpits. Um, doesn't mean not having money. But it just doesn't mean, you know, we think it's prosperous is, oh, I got lots of money, I'm prosperous. You know, no, you can be, you can not have a, a lot in the bank and be a very prosperous person because you've been blessed with so many other things, okay? So this encouragement in this, in this verse involves two things, and that's prosperity and success. And, and be honest, look. Think of all the people that you've run across in your lifetime. I don't, I don't think I've ever met anybody who wants to fail. I, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning wanting to be a failure, wanting to, you know, be filled with despair and everything else. Uh, I think there's something deep down inside there's that want to um, or that desire or the idea they're enamored with it. Um, but a lot of times they fail because they just don't know how to succeed. Maybe they've been brought up in a household that was so messed up. They've had no role model in their life. They have had no idea. So this is the only thing they know and there's no way that they're going to be successful or prosper or be blessed or anything else. They don't know what it takes to get there. Okay? But this verse tells us exactly how to succeed. And, and here's the thing. The promises of God, the, the power of God has given us these great and precious promises. All right? So the divine power of the Lord is with us. His great and precious promises are with us, but there are conditions. And that's the part that a lot of people don't like. They, they, they just want the benefit without meeting any of the conditions. And so it's important that we examine the conditions that God has laid down. There's three that I came up with out of this, and um, they're expressed in certain phrases, okay? And the first condition is in verse 8, says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. I want you to pay special attention to the word mouth in this passage, because we're going to come back to that in a minute. This book of the law shall not depart from what? Your thinking? From your nightstand? No, from your mouth. The book of the law, in other words, God's law, God's word, not depart from your mouth. The second condition says you shall meditate on it day and night. 
And biblical meditation, that's not sitting around with your legs crossed going, um, and, and, and as they teach you Eastern meditation and stuff of emptying your mind, biblical meditation is actually taking the word and like regurgitating it and, and chewing on it and, and, and breaking it down and making it a part of your life. It's, it's contemplating it. It's reflecting on it. All of those things. Um, and so it's done with the heart, and, which is the spirit part of us and soul, and the mind. And so he, this is, this is, I'm going to put this up there, but I'm going to give you an illustration. In other words, what he's saying is, the, the first condition, this condition here is, or the second condition is, you got to meditate on it day and night. The implication is that we must allow the word to penetrate deeply into our inner being. I'm going to use a cooking thing as an example. How many of you know what it is to brine something? Anybody? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it could be a very simple brine. For example, um, did it, did, we did a thing um, not too long ago, did a thing with, with chicken. Took some chicken, and, you know, when you buy it from a store, uh, now you can... It's, it's getting better and better where you can find all natural, you know, um, things that not, haven't been modified or injected or whatever. But even still, no matter what you do, if you take, for example, so we took um, like two halves of a chicken cut up. All right, just took two halves of a chicken and, and weighed it, dried it off and put it on a scale and weighed it. Then we put it in a simple solution of salt and sugar and I don't remember, something else. And we just let it soak for about three hours, covered in the refrigerator. And then we pulled it back out, dabbed it off, made it dry. And when we weighed it, it I forgot how many more ounces it weighed. And so what we did was we poured that many ounces of water into a cup, and it was almost a half a cup more that those chickens had absorbed. So the, what, what is that going to do? When you go to cook it, it's going to make it more juicy, more flavorful, um, not dry. There's nothing worse than dry chicken in the world. Well, dry roast beef's right up there too. Yeah, dry roast, man. And, uh, but, but brining is, is a key thing. It can be a, it can be a dry brine. It can be... But it, that's one of the things that it does. And so when, when I was reading this, that's immediately what came to mind. It was like saying, God was saying, you have got to let your mind and heart be brined in my word. Because Jesus said it's what's in the heart that comes out of our mouths. Right? It's not what goes in, but what comes out. And so we must allow, meditation is allowing the word of God to brine, to, to soak in it. And so when we, we go, oh, I need to read two chapters real quick. And then we're three hours on our phones doing this. Where's your brain? It's being brine in this and not in, not in the word of God, okay? And, and so the third condition it says, so that you may be careful 
to do according to all that is written in it. So what does it say? This is the book of the law that shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate it on, on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So there's three words there. And it's mouth, meditate, and do. And I want to show you how these, th these three things come together in this. Because this, this is the foundation of walking in God's promises. And, um, uh, and, and it's almost always this way. And I'm going to put it this way. I'm going to put it in a different way up there. You've got to think God's law or God's word. You've got to speak God's word. And you've got to act on God's word. Okay? You've got to think it. You've got to speak it. And you've got to act on it. This entire process, see, you can think it, but if you don't do anything else, nothing's going to come out of it. You can say it. I know lots of people who confess all kinds of stuff, and nothing ever happens. Why? Because they're not doing the thinking part. They're not doing the saturating part. They're not allowing the word to become part of them, and then they're not acting on it. They just sit back. I remember years ago, I'm not going to mention the man's name, preacher here in, in uh, South Louisiana, and I was living right in that area, and uh, he built a big old church in the middle of nowhere, and he took a verse of scripture and completely perverted it, and I say perverted it because that's what it was, and he twisted that around saying what that word says is this. And then I saw him on TV and he got some major charismatic teachers who are on TV. They all bought into this nonsense too. And they said, he said that what the word said was that money cometh to him. So he taught all his people to constantly say, money cometh to me. Money cometh to me. Money cometh to me. I'll never forget, I sold a computer at a flea market back when I used to build computers. It was cheaper to build them than you could buy them. Now they build them so that you can just throw them away and get another one. And um, the lady said, I need you to hold this check for a week. I said, lady, if in, in, in seven days it's going to the bank. If it bounces, I'm coming after you with the law. She said, I'm a Christian. I said, yes, ma'am. And I've been burned by a lot of those Christians. And I'm a pastor. She said, well, money cometh. And I said, oh, Lord. In other words, she's, she's writing a hot check, and she's praying all week, money cometh, money cometh. And I looked down in the corner at the check where it has reference, and it's got, in quotes, money cometh. I went, oh, Lord, have mercy. So seven day came, and I said, I'm going to wait eight. <laughs> Just in case it was late. Unless it was late getting in, and I went and deposited that check, and I just held my breath for about three days, and it, it, it cleared. I was like, oh, money cometh to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is that, that he, he perverted the whole process, that all you had to say was say something, and like somehow you were creating it, but that you didn't have to do anything. You could live any way you wanted to, but just saying it was going to bring it into existence. We see here that you have to think 
God's word. You have to speak God's word, and you have to act on God's word. I'm going to show you that. In fact, the, the entire process involves right thinking, right speaking, and right action. See? So the, here's, here's, here's the summary of this. The, the rightness of our thoughts, our words, and actions is determined by whether or not they are in agreement with God's word. In fact, the book of James says, you, you ask for things, he says, you consume it upon your own lust. You're asking things that are contrary to the will of God or the word of God, and you're asking and, and confessing things for your own lustful desires. He says, and you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. When I worked with uh, Norval Hayes years ago, and he was one of the early uh, leaders in the charismatic move and stuff, he was a multi-multi-millionaire. And, um, and God got a hold of him, and he just lived such in a, just a simple lifestyle. And my wife and I worked for him for over two years. But he would tell people, he'd say, if, if God gave you a million dollars tonight, would you be here in service tomorrow night? And he said, don't shake your head. Yes, he said, because he's lying. He said, you'd be out getting a new car. You'd be out looking for a new house. You'd be out celebrating with your friends. You'd be out doing this. He said, and because of that, God's not going to give it to you. And, um, but anyway... So what we're saying here is that our thoughts, words, and actions have to line up with what God's words say, okay? So, I want to so we looked at the Old Testament, what Joshua said, but now let's go to the New Testament. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 8, 9, and 10, familiar verses probably to almost any of us. And it is the, the, the three verses there that are the requirements for salvation, that Paul writes to the believers in Rome, okay? Let's look, what, look at it and see what it says. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth, notice that, and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I want to show you something here. This is a more literal tra translation or a, a transliteration of, of verse 10. And it says, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation, okay? Um, now, we're going to go back th through this, and I want to show you real quick. There's this joining of the heart with the mouth, and, and we're going to see it in a specific order over and over again, except in the last, in verse 10, Paul flips it around, and there's a reason why. I want to show you this. There's two important concepts we need to understand, and this is the thing that really... Let me ask you this before I get there. If in the natural sense, when somebody says, 
I need to confess something. What picture comes to mind when they talk about needing to confess something? Sin. I grew up Catholic, so it's a whole different. Yeah. Well, I, I did too, but I mean. The little booth and the little curtain. Well, that's confessional. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's confession. Yeah. But I mean, the idea of confess. Most Christians, I think, have that idea. For example, the scripture says, if we sin, but we have an advocate with the Father, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. We, in other words, the idea of that word confess or confession a lot of times has that negative connotation to it. It's the, the sinful kind of thing that we kind of tag on it, okay? Um, uh, there's two important concepts here, and the first one is this. The word confess that is used here, the way it is used, it means to, same, to say the same as or to agree. In other words, it says, if you will confess, see, we always think of confess. In other words, I'm going to lead someone to Christ. You need to confess your sin. You need to confess that you're a sinner. But think about it. All we're telling them is you need to agree with what God's word says that you are a sinner lost and need of a savior. Okay? So when we say confess, I would bet that 90% and and not saying I'm gambling, I'm just saying I would I would venture to say that if we say to people you need to confess your, you, that you're a sinner, they immediately see themselves as going, okay, I've sinned, and and they're they're like naming off their sins. But what we're trying to what we really need to be saying to them is the Word of God says this, and if you will agree with God's Word. And you will say and bring your speech into alignment with what God's word says. Into agreement with what God's word says. So that, that's what it means there, literally. So when we confess, we are saying the same thing with our mouth as God says in his word. That's, that's all it is. It's what does God's word say and how can we bring ourselves to where we're bringing, when we're speaking, we're bringing ourselves into alignment with what God's word says. Uh, this applies to whatever topic, whether it's the reference about sin or salvation or healing or prayer or whatever, but confession is making the words of our mouth agree with the words out of God's mouth. The word of God itself. The word salvation in the Romans passage is an all-inclusive form which, which includes all the benefits that came through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ on the cross. So it includes the spiritual benefits. It includes the physical benefits. It includes material benefits. It includes the benefits in life and it includes the benefits in the life to come. So salvation includes all of those things, right? Would we agree with that? That salvation is what? That I receive forgiveness of my sins now. I'm made right before a holy God. I'm now in relationship with God. But salvation also makes available to me um, healing in the name of Jesus. That by his stripes that we are healed. Um, provision. 
The God is going, God says, if, if, if I know the sparrows and, and I know the flowers of the field and I know this, don't I know your needs already before you even ask? I mean, all, so it's all encompassing in all of that, okay? So bearing that in mind, I want to show you there's a relationship between the mouth and the heart. And Paul uses this in a pair of words three times in these three verses. And I want to show you. In verse 8, it says, The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Now, I want you to notice something here. In this verse, he says it's in your mouth first before your heart. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Um, he's trying to help them understand that these great and precious promises um, and God's divine power, they're our inheritance, and they're, they're here. But he says, the word is near you. The word of faith is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And then in verse 9, it says, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, Confess what God says. Jesus is the Lord. There is no other God. Okay? And you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Notice again, it's mouth first, then heart. Okay? But for some reason, in verse 10, Paul flips that. And I'm going to put it up here. I want you to see it. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses unto salvation. In this verse, the heart comes before the mouth. And so I sat there just going, now why did he do it that way? The word was not written by a man. I mean, he, he, he wrote it. But the Bible tells us that these words are inspired by the very breath of God. So the first time it's mouth and heart, mouth and heart. And this time he says, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses to, uh, to salvation. And, and I just wrote this down for myself, and I just put it up there on the slide for you. Because it's the way that we become convinced of God's truth in, in our experience is bringing our words into alignment with God's words. When, and that can even be times when your heart is struggling to believe God's words. But you affirm God's words with your mouth because it is God's word. Yeah. And his word is true from beginning to end. So basically we're saying for this reason, because God says it, I say it. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm trying not to be really, I really don't want to be deep or anything. 
I, I'm not, not that I could be, but I'm just, in, in other words, in, in, in a certain sense, we humble ourselves to submit our human thinking before the authority of God's word. Where we could sit there and go, I don't see how that can happen. I don't know. I, I just can't believe that that would happen. And yet we see in God's word that it says it is so. What do I need to do? I need to bring my words in alignment with what God's word already says. And it's by doing that 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 faith is that seed of faith is grown and nourished and my thinking is transformed. We've been reading that in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world. Well, what is this world about? It's negative, 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 negative. God's word says just the opposite. And, and it's not all pie in the sky. But because he says, you're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulations, but I'm not going to disown you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'll be there. I'll give you the words when you don't know what to say. At the moment that you're there, you're never going to be caught. God, God's never caught off guard concerning your life and your situation. That is something in the last 15 years or more that I, I, I have said so many times because there are times that things happen you're not going to understand and anybody who tells you that you will always understand what's going on is a liar because if you understand it all the time then there is no faith there's no faith involved in that His, you're right. His ways are higher than ours. I mean, we'd have to climb the tallest mountain to, and jump to try and reach the bottom of where God's thoughts are. You know, so several years ago when my daughter-in-law was carrying twins and it was di one of them was diagnosed with a certain condition and they said, that baby... There's no way that baby's going to live. And we began to pray. And then suddenly, in the womb, that baby was healed of that condition. But then a, a week or a few weeks later, or a month later, the baby's now got a different condition. Death, it's going to kill the baby. And we prayed. And God healed that baby in the womb. Doctors scratching their head going, don't understand this. Then again, a few weeks later, they found something else. And we begin to pray. I mean, you know, we were thinking, man, this is going to be testimony like baby bonanza. I mean, you know, like, wow. And then we get word that the baby has died in the womb. But the other baby's doing well. And they said if we try and take the dead baby out, we're liable to kill the live baby. And so she carries 
both of them to full term. So on the day that one grandchild was born, one was brought into the world dead. And a few days later, I do the funeral. And the family's standing around that little casket, and I made the statement, God, I don't understand everything you do, but I know that you're not caught off guard. My daughter-in-law's dad comes to me afterwards and says, I can't thank you enough for what that word meant to me because I didn't understand it. And that's what I don't understand it. God, why would you heal the baby of this? Why would you heal the baby of this? Why would you heal the baby of this? And then this happened. Yes. Yes. I'm just telling you. There's times we won't understand what God is doing, but we stand on his promise. His word stands true. It doesn't change. Doesn't change in light of our situation. Doesn't change in light of what could be happening. Doesn't change. His word is true. And he is sovereign in that. And we have to believe that. I mean, that is a part of his word. He says, I am sovereign. I am the Lord thy God. I change not. So I have to bring my thinking and my mouth into agreement with what his word says, even though it doesn't fit my circumstance. Our hearts. It goes from our mouth and it moves into our heart. One of the things I did years ago, and, and I've mentioned this once before in, in Sunday service, but when I was a youth pastor years, many years ago, I used to have a Bible reading marathon as a fundraiser. Sounds boring, doesn't it? <laughs> First time I told my youth that, they were like, you've got to be kidding. You know, they said, we like that bowling thing we did, and we like the horseback riding thing we did. And, you know, but I'm like, here's the way it works. We're going to have pizza and food and fun and games, but we're going to have a Bible reading marathon. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, go out and find at least 10 sponsors who are going to pay you X amount, 25 cents, 50 cents, whatever, for every 30 minutes that you read the Bible. And they, I said, you have to have 10 or you can't come. And we're going to lock ourselves in for 12, 14 hours here at the church. And I had about 80 kids. And they got their 10 sponsors and more. And so I said, now here's the deal. You've got to team up with someone else to read I said, because the Bible says that the word, come, the, the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And here's what I know. If I put you there by yourself with the Bible, you're going to be. But you're going to swap out with each other. And of course, immediately I saw terror go into some kid's eyes because actually the county in which I lived in Tennessee at that time had a 28% illiteracy rate. 
the whole county. And so I saw kids, and so I said, you find someone you're comfortable reading with. So in other words, if this one here is not good at reading, I said, you find somebody else that's not real good, and you're all going to pair off together. I don't want you, you know, because I said, every chapter, you're going to switch. You're not going to let your buddy sit there and read the whole thing, and you just follow along with your finger. I said, no. I said, you're going to, and they did this. Throughout the night, we would take breaks, we'd have food, we did games and stuff, and then we'd go back to reading. I said, I said, there will be a minimum of eight to ten hours of reading. And, and, and one of the most incredible things I ever saw, I had one boy in the group, his name was John. He was nothing but trouble. And when I went to visit his house, I found out why, because it was one of the most dysfunctional homes ever. And so he was just bringing the only thing he knew. What he, this is what he lived in. And, uh, um, and so I tried to work with him, but it, it was like I couldn't get through no matter what I did. And he just was an instigator. He, was, he, he just caused trouble. Life would have been so much easier without him in the group. But that night, I paired him off with somebody. And I told him, I said, if you don't find a partner... I'm your partner. They all found partners. <laughs> and uh, and um, so they started. And men, they started reading. And um, they were reading and reading. In fact, they had a Bible at the time. I, I'm trying to remember the name of it now. It had come out about that time. And it was almost like a speed reading Bible. I don't remember what the name of it was. But what they, the writers had done is they had gone through the scriptures. And you know how you can take certain parts of a sentence and gain like 80 to 90% of the comprehension of what that sentence is doing. And so they did that. They would put it in bold print and then go back to regular print. And so I said, you can read the whole thing or you can do the, the other part of it. Because yeah, I had done it. And it was amazing. Went through the whole New Testament and I, I, it was like, I did it with somebody, a kid, and he, he came out understanding 70% of what the New Testament said in, in like a 30-day period of time. So I, I gave them all one of those New Testaments. I said, we're going to start there. And so they, they were reading, reading, reading. The long, long and short of it was, at the end, his parents were the last ones to pick him up. I thought, John, I'll just take you home. And I'm tired. I want to go home too. I had not had any sleep. You know, he goes, no, my, my mom's on the way. So she finally shows up and he goes home. And I go home and crash. And several, just a matter of, I don't know how many hours later, my phone's ringing at the house. I'm crashed and Amanda's taking messages and it's this one parent, John's mom, who's calling over and over and over again. So finally, I get up. She says, Bob, you really need to take the phone. I don't know what's going on. So I, I go answer the phone. And she says, what have you done to my son? I said, what's he done? You know, that's all I can think of. What's he done? She said, he's in his room. I said, what's he doing? Now, they didn't have video games and stuff back in those days. She said, he's reading a Bible out loud. 
There's nobody else in the room. I said, well, ma'am, that's what we did last night. I said, he's okay. She said, I thought he lost it. And that you had put a spell on him or something. I said, no, ma'am. I said, I didn't tell him to do that. I said, but he's okay. On Sunday, his parents show up at church. Never been there. And they come up and go, what have you done to our son? I said, what did he do now? They said, nothing. He has been locked in his room with the Bible, reading out loud since he's got home. I said, that's not bad. She, they said, but what have you done to him? I said, I haven't done anything. And I said, but the word of God is alive and it's inside him now. It's, it's flipped a switch, if I can put it that way. And, and they said, I don't know what you did. It's worth a million dollars if you can bottle it. And he changed overnight. And he called me like on Monday after school. And he goes, Brother Bob. I said, what? He said, can I come down to the restaurant? Because I was in the restaurant business at the time. And I was a youth leader at the church. And I said, sure. I said, come on down. I'll buy you something. Come on. And he comes down and he goes, I can't shut it off. I said, what? He said, the words. They're just going over and over and over and over and over in my head. I said, and, and what's that doing? He says, it's driving me crazy. I said, no, it's not driving you crazy. Don't say that. He goes, no, I mean, it's good, but it's like, how do I shut it off? And I said, it's alive. He goes, yeah, it's alive. I can't shut it off. He said, I go to bed at night. I hear those words. I hear the voice of the guy that was reading to me. I hear my words as I was reading to you. And he says, what's happening? I said, it's become alive and it's working inside you. Keep letting it go and work its work. I'm telling you, he changed. And by the time summer camp rolled around, he was like an evangelist at the summer camp for kids. It just came alive inside of him because that word being spoken and him hearing it and him saying it, it triggered something on the inside of him. Now, I've never seen that happen before or since, but it did in him. And I'm just saying that's what happens when it goes from here to hear, it has an impact from the heart. When it's just lips and, and words, Jesus said these people, these religious leaders, they say all the right things, but their heart is far from me. Yes. And, and so it, it's, it's the, it, when it gets in our hearts, it will come out of our mouth. It becomes a natural thing. So we confess ourselves in, into the salvation of God. We make confession unto salvation. But then the book of James says you can't just 
think it and you can't just say it. There has to be action. And there's two verses and I'll quit. In James 2.17, it says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Okay? Faith without works is dead. All right? And then verse 26 says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So, it's, in other words, it's not just enough to believe it and say it. It's not just enough to think it and just to say it. It has to be acted out. There has to be action that goes with it. So we come right back to that principle in Joshua that we talked about. And we got to think God's word. We got to speak God's word. We got to act on God's word. And, and God says that the result is guaranteed. And that's success. Success not by the world's standards necessarily, but success. Be successful and prosperous in your spiritual walk with God. So how many of you want to be successful and prosperous in your spiritual walk with God? Got to change the thinking. Got to change the speaking. And then we got to put action behind it. Um, you know, last, last Sunday morning, I, I mentioned that I talked about action. That, that if you're going to be used by the Lord, God's going to open doors or something. And, and you have to go out and show the love of God in some actionable way. Do you remember, anybody remember me talking about that at the end of the service? And I remember that I even mentioned that uh, in today's day, there's so many different ways you can do that. And I mentioned the pay it forward kind of thing, you know. And um, that night I told my wife, I said, let's go to IHOP. We don't, we don't do that very often. We don't, we don't go out at night. We don't go out very often at all. But I said, if we're going to go, let's go to IHOP. And um, um, and let, 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 I said, we're going to splurge. We're going to get, we eat bad. <laughs> Go to IHOP, I'm going to eat bad. <laughs> we had the Rudy Tootie specials. <laughs> and uh, my wife said, I want the Rudy Tootie. I said, sounds good to me. Let's go. And, um, but we sat down there and there was a table behind us, a booth behind us. They're never getting ready to leave. They were loud. They were obnoxious. They were, they were tearing into that poor server and reading her the riot act. Then they demanded the manager to come. And we're, I'm thinking, please just leave. We, you can't. I wanted to get up across the room and get away from them. And this went on for about 10 or 15 minutes. And we saw the girl coming back. She had tears in her eyes, but she was trying not to cry, you know. And so finally they got up and left. They chewed out the manager. They chewed out this girl. And all the way out, they let anybody that was in the place know about it. And um, I said, okay. So I asked her, I said, did they tip you? Because I heard how much the bill was. It was close. It was 50 bucks. Because it was a group of them. She said, yeah, they gave me $2. I said, they should have given you like 50 bucks for all the trouble they gave you, you know. And then I turned to Amanda, I said, we're going to tip her for them. 
double tip her for them. And I said, we're going to just witness to her. I said, okay, Lord, we've got to put action to our words. I can't preach it from the pulpit. We've got to put action to it. And so um, when she came over, I said, are you okay? She goes, yeah, I'm all right. And I said, no, you're not all right. I said, we're going to pray for you, you know. And um, she goes, I'm okay, I'm okay. And so anyway, when we got done, I said, I said, how much did, how much did they tip you? She said, $2. I said, baby, I said, I said, we're going to give you five times that. I said, I'm going to give you $10 for their table. And then I'm going to give you a tip for my table. And um, not that I have the money necessarily, but I just said, God convicted me. I had to put action to my words that I spoke in the same way that I'm saying that we have to think it, we have to say it, then we have to act it out in some way. And so she, and she kept trying to get me not to do it. I said, baby, I said, you're not going to change my mind. I said, you, you just keep at this. I, go get your manager. I'm going to give the money to make sure you get it. She goes, you don't have to do that. I said, I don't have to do anything, but I'm going to. But I couldn't say, because I just said Sunday this morning from the pulpit, you got to put some action behind you, your words and your faith and, and put it in. And then I told her afterwards, and I said, I'm sorry you had a hard time. I said, but I want you to know the Lord loves you. And, 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 and she just looked up, and she just was trying not to tear up, put her head down, and she said, thank you. You know? I mean, we just have to put God's word in our mind, put it in our mouth. And, and you know, once it comes out of your mouth, now it convicts you. Because yeah. that word goes out and all of a sudden it comes back in your own ears and you hear yourself going, oh, I did say that, didn't I? You know, so I'm just saying I, I want us over the next few weeks how to walk in the promises, how to identify the genuine promises of God, how we put it into action, how we make it work. Okay? Thoughts, comments, questions, anyone. Anything you got that would add on to it would be real good. Nobody? Well, I'm sorry. I'll leave the icing off next time. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope this is going to be a blessing. I know it for me already it is. Because I've seen so much of this twisted that I've gone 180 degrees back over here. And the Lord convicted me right before the end of the year on Wednesday morning, sitting right there, and he gave me, me a word and I had to take my phone like this and whisper into it because I everything that was coming was coming so fast I couldn't possibly type it and I didn't want to disrupt anybody else that was praying and uh, but he was saying and I told you this is going to be a year that God's calling his people to step into what God has for them not sit here and go let me have it God no 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 they're already out there the divine promise, great and precious promises are there. Walk into it. Walk into it. Not like walk into a, you know, oh, smack your head kind of thing. Walk into what God has. 
And, and we have to do that. We've got to have this transformation in our life and transformation in our thinking, transformation in our speaking, transformation in our actions. Wow. About it, about God, his faithfulness. About God's faithfulness. But that walking is important because he had asked me to do something very difficult in the flesh. You know, my flesh was like, well, you know, I'm not really under obligation right. to do X, Y, Z. Because that person, you know, X, Y, Z. And, but the Lord, was, he just kept telling me, you need to do this. And so I was faithful to what he asked me to do. And I... I know that he poured out his blessings. You right. Know what I'm but in the walking it out, it was not easy. You know what I'm saying? It was not an easy thing he asked. Right. But he, it's like he already had prepared his word for me. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. Like nine times. Right. I couldn't ignore that, you know? So I think in the walking, thinking is easy, you know? Yes. Speaking is different. Because when you speak it with your mouth, you're, in, you're kind of agreeing with him. Right. And sometimes your faith isn't there. Like you're just not really emotionally there. You know? You're like, okay, Lord, I want to believe this. Right. But this is what I see, you know, in reality. So it was, it was an interesting week for me. Like <laughs> I knew that I was doing the right thing. You know, I knew that I was doing what he asked me to do. And, and once I decided that I was going to do it and just stopped, you know, getting in my head about it, I knew. I was like, God's going to, he's going to do whatever he has to do. And I'm not going to get in his way. So, and if I don't do what he says, I'm getting in his way. Basically. Right. You know, so. That's good. It was good. It was really good. And I, I was able to act, you know, act as well on his, on his word because I feel like he was faithful to Give me the grace. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have this obstinate attitude anymore. I just right. gave it to him and said, okay, Lord, regardless of the outcome, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. You know? That's good. It's a different surrender. So I like what you were talking about. Right. And so, like, I have on our mirror in our bathroom, like, just these scriptures that, that I'm like, repeat three times a day, you 
Right. Yeah. Right. In fact, um, that that verse about calling those things that be not as that has been taken so far out of context over the years too. And but that was something just just a few weeks ago. I was on a Zoom call with about eighty pastors around the country, and a man was given a testimony from South Texas friend an acquaintance that I know well who's a pastor there and how in the midst of a building program they just poured the foundation everything else walls were concrete was down steel was laying there the bank pulled all their money multi-million dollars worth of stuff and uh, brother Gary Sapp mentioned he heard his this pastor's wife called gary and said you need to get down here make an excuse i don't know where you speak get down here and on the way there he said lord i don't know what my brother's going through but you need to give me a word and he gave him that word he said you tell him to speak those things that be they had gone to bank after bank after bank they had weeds growing through the concrete of the foundation the steel was rusting sitting there they had over it was like three and a half four million dollars worth of stuff and the bank just pulled all of their funding in the middle of this and it was an it was a fairly new church and, and they had been growing and they were tired of renting and they were building. They found a beautiful piece of land. It was on the outskirts of South Houston and now it's right, right in the middle of it. And um, he went down there and he prayed that very thing and he, he gathered that church leadership together and the people together and they said, and he said, and they broke that spirit of depression that had come on him and they began to speak that. He says, we call those things that be not. And the miracle, he's written a book about it now. And the miracle that came forth for the money and where it came from and how it came is mind-blowing. But you say in the midst of it, how could God be in this? But God had a better deal than having a 30-year mortgage hanging over your head, even though they had the people to afford it and that kind of stuff. And, 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 but what God did in him, and when he spoke those words, and I saw the result, I said, okay, all right. We need to go get back to square one. You know, we need to go back to it and take out some have maybe taken it and twisted it and used it for their own, but that doesn't make the word of God null and void. In fact, in fact, Paul said in Galatians, he said, he said, there are I'm in prison, and there are those out there who are preaching the word and, and distorting the word and mocking me. And as, as an example in prison, he said, but what do I care? But Jesus is being preached to the, to the, to the crowds. And I thought, oh, wow, that's, boy, that really messes up my theology, Lord, you know. I mean, like, why would you want somebody out there who's preaching a, a, a false gospel or a half gospel or whatever? He said, but the basis was Jesus was being preached. And I said, okay, boy, boy you're really messing me up. And that was the phrase. 
call those things that be not as though they were. And I have been doing that for the last two and a half weeks. I have. Yeah. Uh huh. awesome right there's always an action of some type that's going to be involved in it and so it, it this is the process of taking hold of God's promises and actually beginning to walk in them and and walking learning to walk is not an easy thing right I talked about that Sunday you know you're going to fall and you're going to stumble and you it, it what you do when you fall and stumble is what matters are you going to get back up again or are you just going to say forget this it ain't worth it I'm going to stay down no well then you're not going to grow in faith I think of Daniel he's thrown in the lion's den right first thing next morning what happens the king comes running Daniel are you still there <laughs> yes king <laughs> I thought, I bet that king didn't sleep a wink that night. <laughs> Wondering what happened to Daniel. Did, did the lions tear him up? And he said, still here, king. Get that man out of there. And, and, you know, I mean, the three Hebrew children, you talk about it's easier to say, we're not going to bow. We'll burn, but we won't bow. Okay, let's burn them. Yeah. Yeah, most of us would have gone, oh, I was just making a confession. I didn't think it was really going to happen, you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're going to see God, we're going to see God make changes in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in our schools. The word. Mark's Gospel 1, and we quit on this. It just, it talks about, you go back and read it, and, and it says that the, the power of the seed was not the sower, but the power was in the seed, and the seed is the word of God. And so it is the word that has power, and and. We want to come up with programs, and, every, and the programs aren't wrong, but there's nothing that supersedes the Word of God. And especially when you're walking in alignment to it and not trying to make it and pigeonhole it to fit your lifestyle. You know, so 
Think God's word, speak God's word, act God's word. It's a guaranteed outcome of success and prosperity in God. Father, we just thank you and we bless you and praise you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you, Lord God, for the truth of your word. So thankful that there is something solid in this day and age that everything is fluid and moving and changing day by day. I can sleep tonight because I don't have to worry about tomorrow. You've already decreed it. You've already spoken it. And that, Father, that all things are in your hands and we can rest in that and we choose to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.